Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Everybody and welcome to the show, powered by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. This week, we're joined by a man who has played Aussie Rules, coached Aussie Rules and analysed Aussie Rules in the media. Robert Shaw's lifelong love affair with our Indigenous game took him to Essendon as a player, Fitzroy in Adelaide as a senior coach, before, of course, rejoining the Bombers as an assistant to help steer that club to a record-breaking campaign at the turn of the millennium. But as a proud Tasmanian, Robert Shaw has campaigned as passionately as anyone that his state deserves as a team of its own, and it's finally happening. Robert Shaw, hello, and thanks for joining us. Sam, how are you? Thanks for the invite on um, on May the 3rd, 2020-23, the day Ian Stewart played his 100th game and the day Peter Hudson kicked 16 goals. So I don't know whether it was uh, the timing or a genius date, but uh, <laughs> it is quite a significant date and uh, certainly for today. Indeed, symbolic. I think it's also the date that Matty Richardson might have played his last game as well. But I'm a mainlander, Shorey. When my in-laws are in Tassie, in Hobart itself, and I find it emotional almost that it's finally happening, which might be silly for some people to hear, but I know how long the people of your state have dreamt of this, how long you've swam against the tide on it as well. Uh, Swimming against the tide's interesting, and... um we even, like for me, it's been a lifelong passion because I, I, I heard, like, I, I like the bloke. I reckon he's been great for the game, Eddie Maguire. But when he sort of said, like, Jack Rewalt and Tim Lane, oh, they're the big drum beaters and all that sort of thing, but they live in Melbourne. Um, my answer to that, Ed, is we had nowhere else to go. Where do we have, what do we have to do? If we wanted to push, we didn't have a Shield team and we didn't have a VFL-AFL team. Eddie, where were we to go? And we were lucky that at 16 and 17, when we were in high school, clubs came and got us. And it goes back a lot, lot further than myself, Jack Rewald, Alistair Lynch, Rodney Eade. Mm. It, it, you know, it goes back to the halcyon days of the, the 50s and 60s in Tasmania. So I mentioned your lifelong love affair with, with the game, and that was born from a childhood growing up in Sandy Bay, obviously just around the corner from Salamanca, where, in the heart of Hobart, yep. just about where the announcement will be today on the day we're speaking. Uh, there was Rose Bay High School, but what does it mean to you as we sit here now that this is happening, Shory? I don't know, and I'll, I'll try and explain it. I've had, look, I have fought a battle. I'll put my hand up and say that from like the late 80s when, and then 1990 when we had a we had a very unofficial meeting. The team that beat Tasmania had a very unofficial meeting with members of the AFL and the Tasmanian Football League in a room at the back of North Hobart after we beat them. And it was a very unofficial. I think it might have been Ross Oakley. It could have been Colo. And we were asked as a team if we had a team who would come back. I don't know whether it was a clandestine meeting, but we were asked for a show of hands and an indication. There were 23 people in that team. And one of the things we did as selectors, we picked a young 
side. We picked players who were playing AFL reserves. Paul Hudson. They were 18 and 19, these kids. Trent Nichols, John McCarthy. Lynchy was a baby, you know. We picked them with the theme to showcase our madness. And it was a good business plan. Let's show Australia what we're all about. And we beat them. And uh, then we had a show of hands. And this is this was what I hope would be the core of a team that would come in. But, you know, obviously Port Adelaide and Adelaide were blueing about the entry of the Crows in 1991. So we sort of got pushed behind the carpet, under the carpet a little bit. But the vote was 20, uh, 22 players out of the 23. And the 23rd player that didn't vote for it uh, was just starting up a really good business in Melbourne. And he, so they were ready. They were, most of them were obviously unmarried. Most of them came from the towns around the state. So, so they were up for it. And then we slowly disappeared off the state of origin um, focus as these other teams came into the national competition. We'll leave the team in a moment, but there's obviously been a hotbed of debate around the stadium, Shory, and its funding. And there will always be more important things to spend money on than a sports stadium. But do you, you live down there. I mean, do you think it will do for Hobart much the same as what the Adelaide Oval's done for Adelaide and maybe Optus Stadium in Perth? Oh, it's a great analogy. It's, um, yes, it's an eyesore. The place is a car park. It used to be, my dad used to work on Macquarie Point at Mobile Oil. It used to have oil tankers and those big tanks of oil, unsightly in the state. It is in a very, very respectful place though. It's only a, it's only half a kilometre from the, the Cenotaph, yep. which must take priority out of respect for obvious reasons. But it's a magnificent position. And, and we've got to remember the naysayers are saying it's an AFL, it is not an AFL stadium. It's a state-of-the-art stadium that we will see major events come to Tasmania. Bruce Stringstreet doesn't come to Tasmania. Ed Sheeran doesn't come to Tasmania. The Stones and ACDC don't come to Tasmania. We, we're opening up our state to the world and some people don't want that. And I understand the defence of the island. And that's the theme of the Jack Jumpers. Defend the island. Because it's such a unique and beautiful place. We don't want you coming down here. But you will have World Cup soccer. You will have major events. You will have major conventions. You will have major concerts. Bledisloe Cup will come. We will eventually get a state of origin rugby league game. Can you imagine that that the influx of people for those events? So don't get carried away with oh, it's only an AFL stadium. It's a rebranding of the island of Tasmania to encourage these events. Let's go back in time then, Shory. What are your memories of childhood down there, and and the place the game had in the hearts of Tasmanians? I think you grew up a, a Carlton supporter. What are your what are your early memories? Yeah, well, I'm part of the Shore clan, uh, the Collingwood Shores, and uh, the isolated. Essendon Shaw, which is me, uh, Ray and Tony's dad, Reg, and my brother, uh, my dad, uh, Bert, Albert, were uh, born and bred just up the road in Sydney Road from the ground. So they pl- followed Carlton. The Shaw Collingwoods moved out to Reservoir. The Shaw Essendons moved to Tasmania after the war. Dad went down there on a cricket trip and, and never came back. And he played 130-odd games for for Sandy Bay, the great Sandy Bay team that sadly is not there. And boy, would they love now to have their own team. So they would still be there. I was living on the other side of the river, went to Rose Bay High, grew up in a little beautiful little hamlet in the in Lindisfarne and uh, went to Rose Bay High and played for Sandy Bay under, under the father-son rule. Mm-hmm. It is all I ever wanted to do. I have visions of my mum and dad as a, a kid in primary school. We got one replay a night in black and white, on black and white TV in the mid-60s when 
when I was seven, eight, nine, and ten at ten twenty-five on Channel Six every Monday night. So I had to go to bed at half past seven. Mum would wake me up at twenty past ten at night, come out and watch the replay, and that is where mesmerising game came to me. And uh, black and white footy, you know, Carlton versus we're crossing out to Windy Hill for the yeah. last quarter of the Carlton versus Essendon yeah. game, and and this is my heroes were Tasmania, and they were the people that played in Tasmania. And um, but it was opened up the VFL, and then as a kid, my job on the Sunday morning was to run down to the local milk bar with with my ten cent piece and buy the the early Herald. Remember, they used to put out yeah. two Heralds, the, yeah. the yeah. early one and the late one, the PM edition, and to yep. get the scores. The only problem with that, Sam, it was the bloody early Herald, and the scores finished at three quarter time, so <laughs> so we never actually knew who won. Yes. So then you get the Sporting Globe, and you had this love affair with with the VFL that you never thought the dream would come to uh, reality. Now, just on that, so you're footy mad as a kid. You're playing for Sandy Bay Footy Club, as you mentioned, and you're progressing through the ranks as, as all kids do. So the path to the VFL, the olive branch as it were, how did it play out and who came knocking? Well, like any kid in Tassie, uh, the passion was the old tradition, cricket and, and and footy. And I was a better cricketer than I was a footballer. Quite simple as that. I'd, I'd uh, captain my state for two years in a row at under 19 level. and uh, But once again, we didn't have a shield team. So when Des Tuddenham came up with uh, the Vice President of Essendon, Jimmy Matthews, in um, when I was at, at high school or matriculation college, Elizabeth Matric, up the top of Elizabeth Street in North Hobart. I got a message, and this is how it was in these days. I got a message uh, over the loudspeaker, could Robert Shaw come to the headmaster's office, please? I thought, by Christ, I've belted someone at recess again. What have I done? And I'm in strife. <laughs> oh, here I go. I walked into his office and he said, uh, this is Des Tudderman and Jim Matthews. And they said, we want you to come to Essendon. And I went home to mum and dad and I said, Essendon football club, I was a Carlton man. I was aware of Essendon. I was aware of Coleman and Clark, but my passion was Carlton, Nichols, Silvani, Gallagher, Purse, Jones, you know, that sort of thing. And they said, yes, they've already spoken to us. And the story goes that my mum said, he's 17, he's six foot one, he's 11 and a half stone, he's not ready to go. And and Jimmy Matthews, who who sadly has passed, he was a great influence on my life, a vice president to James Hurd's grandfather, Alan yep. Hurd. He said, would, would another thousand dollars change your mind, Mr. Shaw? She said, what plane do you want him on? <laughs> You know, <laughs> so that that's how um, that's how they did it in these days. No draft, so they sent me a plane ticket, and you got on a plane and left home. Gave mum a hug, shook your dad, gave your dad a, a hug, and got on a plane in Hobart Airport and got off at, at at Melbourne Airport, and that's how it was done. And you left home, you left home, and we all did it. Every one of us did it that way. We're uh, off and running. How good is this? On oh, this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So, Life at Windy Hill and the plane chapter of Robert Shaw's journey is up after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives and we're with former VFL player, AFL senior coach Robert Shaw. So, Shawry, life at Essendon, round five, 1974, you make your debut. Do you remember, and I'm testing you here, I know, do you remember much of the week, the build-up and, and perhaps the game itself? Oh, I certainly do. Um, you got to remember I went at the 17 at the start of 1973. You remember my physical weight. One of the things that I found as a young bloke, because I idolised these people and I told you the Herald story and watching the replays these people became gods to me and all of a sudden I'm I was intimidated by the VFL I was really intimidated I was out of my depth because you get to I don't know I went to I went to Windy Hill it was a beautiful place and I I still because of my passion for cricket I played cricket with the Essendon Cricket Club and footy. So I did that for as long and long as I could. And I think to my detriment, because I still brought the Tasmanian to Melbourne and I should have ditched one of them, but obviously it couldn't be footy. I find myself underprepared. The bright lights got to me. I started off in the seconds reasonably well. And then I had a stroke of luck. I was dropped back to uh, the under 19s and told that you might be going back to Tasmania. You're not up to it. But I played in the grand final. I played in the 73 grand final at the Melbourne Cricket Grand around Essendon versus Richmond. Mm. It was the day the Richmond won the thirds, the under-19s, where we started at 8.30, the seconds and the seniors, those great Richmond sides. I played centre-half back that day and I played on my old mate, the uh, the senior constable, Claude uh, Emmett Dunn. And uh, so that's how I got my act together and I got a game. And yeah, I remember uh, I was on the bench and I think I was on the bench with one of Essendon's immortals, which uh, it was Don McKenzie. You don't dream of those things. And um, we're both sitting there the black Essendon dressing gown with the the fine white piping waiting to go on and of course you got your run at the 10 minute mark of the last quarter so um and uh from then on uh, my football playing journey became a real a real struggle you played your old idols the next year Carlton uh 75 I I think from from the record books would suggest it wasn't a great day for your bombers though was it what the car won by what 80 this is trying to explain how I just felt so inadequate at times intimidated I started in 1975 at Ruck Road. Uh, there was a Victorian game. John Nichols was a coach of Victoria, so God, he was away. But I started in the centre bounce against Sid Jackson, Barry Armstrong, Trevor Keogh with Peter Jones rucking. And I'm looking around going, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. And fortunately, Essendon got away to a very bright start and led something like five goals to three. I started to think, I'm going okay. Carlton in the second quarter kicked 14 goals, right? There was enormous blue... There was eight reports that day, the Battle of Windy Hill. I was unceremoniously disgraced in front of the Essendon crowd. Uh, Swan Mackay kicked eight. Uh, I think Purse dominated. Uh, Duel was on a halfback flank. Stephen Beaumont, Neville Fields, Ron Andrews, Curly Austin, Phil Pennell. It was the very... Okay, that's all fine if you're having a blue, but there were two very ordinary and unsavoury incidents. The king hitting of... Uh, and I won't put them in order, king hitting of Carlton's Craig Davis and the king hitting of Dean Hardigan, Essendon's back pocket. I won't say anything more because um, it's in the past and that would be unfair, but that game exploded and that was probably... I've played against Dittrich and all those blokes at Moorabbin, but I've never been actually a little bit scared yeah. that day.
because of the ferocity of the violence. Rob, just coming back to the game, though, so 80 points, of course. Was Des Tudnam, the coach, one for the old-school punishment? He wouldn't have liked that result too much, would he? You've done your homework. You know, there's been some highlights of my career. I don't know whether it's a highlight, but imagine doing this now. So we get to training, the so-called recovery training, the next morning, and we had a meeting, and Des said, well, you were embarrassed in front of your whole crowd, and what you didn't do, you didn't get on your hands and knees and fight for your club. So we're going to do it now. I'm glad I was part of football folklore. I was part of the team that crawled around Windy Hill on our hands and knees in Indian file, <laughs> led by Des Tudnam. I can't remember how long it took, but it was freezing cold. There were mm. icicles. And without being dramatic, because it uh, actually happened, I was bleeding out of the palms of my hands and my kneecaps because of pushing through the icicles. And I just remember, I did it easy, but I just remember how cold it was. Now, if you did this now, Sam, how would that go with the Players Association? The lawyers are coming in. (laughs) Patrick is the head of the AFL Players Association. He'd have a meeting. We'd have to, like I remember Xavier Campbell one day, Essendon got humiliated by Brisbane at Marvel Stadium. And he made a statement, not good enough, Essendon. We've let our people down. Unacceptable. And he was made to come in and apologise for that statement. You remember it, Sam. He was made to come in mm. and apologise. I can only imagine what players these days So It was highly inappropriate, but it was the early 70s. And you did. You were taught to do and follow your coach. So 40 blokes did it without any qualm at all. Now, you're very modest about your playing career, Shorey, because it was said, and it's before my time, but it was said that you played with great tenacity. You had some good pace about you too. And the fact is, when you were fit, you were always first choice. But sadly, that wasn't the case as much as you would have liked. Injuries dogged you throughout, didn't they? And was it nine operations by the end? And I think the knees probably... I mean, you must look at modern medicine, the keyhole surgery. You must look at all that now and shake your head, if only. I do know now that you're quite right. So I do take some pride in the fact that if I was fit, that under Tudnam, Bill Stevens, Barry Davison, Sheeds, that I was selected. And I was selected as, what would I be, uh, nearly 6'3", and what am I, 92 kilos. So what would I be these days? I'm not big enough to play full back. I could play as a hybrid intercept halfback like a Todd Ridley. Mm. I had the pace to play half back. So, yeah, I found out I could play, but every time, I think the most games I strung together might have been in a row, might have been 9 to 10 in uh, 79 under Barry Davis. I was part of the Sheeds comeback folklore where we lost our first three and Sheeds started to get changed and um, said, well, he went to the board and said, I'm going to make a comeback. We won the next 15 to make sure he didn't make a comeback. <laughs> And I was part of that surge, so 80, so that's me at 25. So in the prime, I was playing really good footy, late 70s. But yeah, you're right, nine operations, five or six of those absolutely major ruptured Achilles twice. That That's two years gone. A dislocated shoulder, facial surgery, medial knee ligament, a, a reconstruction of my right thumb, which was about 16 weeks. So I miss playing with my mates. And I don't have any regrets, but I was, my, my mate, and an age group of Folds, Madden, Van der Haar, Andrews, etc., that went on to be the core of that uh, 83 84 grand final. So, what I've got a game in those sides.
with a clear run, I, I would have probably been on the bench. Yeah, that's not being modest. That's mm. summing up how you see my career. And But I don't know. I'll never know. So I retired at 26. I was out. These are sliding doors moments. And I think you've spoken in the past that, and knowing you a little bit, you probably don't think of it too much, that no regrets. But 83, the year after they lose the grand final, 84, 85, the memorable back-to-backs. Hey, coaches, you obviously had Des Tuddenham, but then Bill Stephen, Barry Davis, Kevin Sheedy, you mentioned who took over in 81 before your last year in 82. Now, Sheeds, sure, he would obviously set about transforming the whole club, but did he transform your journey too? Like in the sense that what came after playing? Did you catch the coaching bug off Sheeds? Well, it's a good story. I think at the end of 82, I invited him round to where I was living in Essendon and I said, I can't do this anymore. I just can't keep going and getting a game and then having the setback of injury. So I'm going to go home to Tassie, uh, let my body rest, then go back and play with Sandy Bay in Tassie again and he said I've got an idea and I'll put to you he said I want someone and I guess this is one of the first with all due respect to the other ones this is Sheeds' vision I need someone to go and watch the opposition. I need someone to go and watch training. I need someone to go to Arden Street, Moorabbin, and down to, to Punt Road and watch training and then go and watch them play on the Saturday and come and do a report for me. And part of that job watching the game was to go to, you're like this, Sam, being a broadcaster and a writer, Part of that was to go, at the end of the game, I had to walk round to Alf Potter, Channel 7, round to the vans, the OB vans, at the back of the ground, and they would hand me a tape of the game. I'd go home to my place. What about this for a social life? I'd go home and there'd be three or four video cassette machines, the old U-Matic, remember those? (laughs) They're about a foot long and three inches thick. Then the beta and then the VH. I had them set up in a spare room. So I would have to run off the kickouts, the centre bounces for Simon Madden and give a copy to chairman of selectors Brian Donoghue and a copy to Kevin Sheedy. Also write a one-rage report on the opposition. That's how the the analysis in me started. That's how my career progressed and at the end of that year I did have a bug and and a great mate of mine that played for Melbourne and and a three-time Sandy Bay Premiership player Noel Leary rang me up he was coaching Clarence he said Clarence is a very good football club there is a job going here as a coach so I went to Sheets and he said I don't I don't know whether you're ready but and I hadn't played for a year I let my body rest and if we've got time I can tell a very funny story about my appointment and uh, I went and had an interview for the Clarence Football Club and caught the coaching bug but it came with a very interesting story and I'll do it very quickly Sam. Far away. Noel said about coaching so I went and did this interview for the coach. I'd had nine operations I hadn't played for a year Sam. I'd let my body rest. I hadn't run a lap I'd walked. I didn't swim. I didn't do weights. I let my decision was to see if my body could recover itself from the operation. So I signed and I said I flew back on the plane after signing with Clarence and we talked about coaching philosophy, all that. I got back and the and the contract, I said, post the contract over. So when I open it up and I'm reading the fine line, fine print, uh, $12,000 to wait for it, captain coach. Oh, no. <laughs> I said, captain off. coach. So, mate, I'm 20. I'm in my prime age, but I haven't played. And it's a very good competition. It's a bloody good competition. Excellent players in the early 80s. I had to play. You get through? So, uh I got through. I got through because when I when I thought I did my knee, I went in to have a reconstruction, and the doctor wrote me 
woke me up and he said, look, we haven't operated, Shuri. You've had nine operations. I don't want to do it again. The reason I haven't operated is your cruciate ligament is hanging by a filament. It is hanging by, it, oh. it's the size of a piece of fishing line, but it's together. But he said, I, I don't want to reconstruct, but you can't play basketball. You can't play netball. You can't play football. You can't play soccer. You can't play anything where you're going to go laterally. But you can enjoy a wonderful life and get fit. So I go down to Tasmania knowing the fact that one twist and I'm snapping my... But I got away with it. I had two very good years in the forward line. I played forward pocket so I could coach. And I had two very good players alongside me in Scott Adams and Jack Rewalt's dad, Chris Rewalt, was a three-time premiership player at centre-half forward for Clarence. So I was able to hide behind two champion players in Tasmania and just do these little leads every now and again. I kicked 44 goals. I ended up playing, play, we won the premiership. We lost the next year. I ended up playing a game for Tasmania. So uh, I don't know, <laughs> to this day, I became oh. the captain coach. And then of course you get the phone call again from Shudy, I need you to come back. And that's another story that, that happened twice in my career. It did. We're going to get to both of those situations. And you, I would say you were due a change of luck anyway. So I'm glad that little um, <laughs> fishing line uh, hung in. Uh, we're with Robert Shaw on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So Shorey's foray into coaching on the mainland is up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today, we have the company of former VFL player, AFL coach and proud Tasmanian Robert Shaw. So, so Robert, you mentioned it then. After the success at Clarence um, and then runners-up in 85, you come back to Essendon. But I want to just skip ahead slightly with your blessing. I'll take you to the assistant coaching job at Fitzroy where you guided them to a VFL reserves flag in 89, it would prove to be, no one probably knew it at the time, but Fitzroy's last premiership success. I'm keen to know, what was life like at Fitzroy at that stage? I mean, I assume even then was operating on the old uh, smell of the old oily rag and and fighting, you know, way out of its weight division. It was very interesting. Barry Capuano came to me at the end of 88 and said, look, all your life's been Essendon. If you want a career in football, in coaching, go to another club. Uh, Curly Austin rang me up, Arthur Wilson, and also Max Kelleher uh, was the CEO. Now, Max mightn't be known to many people on... But Max is famous in Tasmania, not only as a great player for the North Hobart Football Club, Max played in the Tasmanian team in 1960 that beat Victoria. So he was obviously aware of me and a very big supporter. They, Those three people appointed me the seconds coach and the assistant coach to Curley, and I went to a different club, a totally different club. But I must say, the two years as assistant coach and the four years as senior coach, it opened up the love of the game. Not that I'd lost it, but the passion of people and the power of people and the power of players to, to do some extraordinary things on what you... Mate, it wasn't the smell of an oily rag... They just didn't have a rag. In the modern era, 
the 90s. You would not believe what those players had to go through. They got locked out of the Lakeside Oval because they wouldn't pay the bill. We had a, an AFL team that had to break into the Lakeside Oval, put all the weights in the back of the uh, of the high ace, the property steward high ace, so we could do our weights on the banks of the, uh, the grassy banks of Brunswick Street Oval. I don't think the boys in the property who were magnificent people, I don't think we ever paid a registration for the van. The coppers knew round South Melbourne and the Lakeside Oval. It had one headlight. Um, it had no indicators. Like when you went around the corner, they had to put the hand out, you know, to indicate they go around the corner. And this club had the, still had the capacity to, to beat the Essens and the Collingwoods and the yeah. Carltons. And uh, it was an extraordinary place, but we... You know, I don't want to go into the yeah, ins yeah. and outs of it. But we just, we were that close in 92, 93, but we just couldn't hang on. We were just playing ex exorbitant rents yeah. at um, both the Lakeside Oval and both at Carlton. I think I moved office blocks five times. And yet these players, these amazing players and staff kept fronting up. Yeah. But in the end, they couldn't go any further. It, in the end, they got them. And in the end, they became the sacrificial lamb for the modern day ventures into northern states and other franchises. But what an experience. I can't speak highly enough of it. It's probably as good as six years as I've enjoyed in football, given the fact that Essendon and Tassie are my, my base clubs. And even before you replaced Rod Austin, of course, the former Carlton star as senior coach in 91, you had a probably front row seats to the proposed, well, it was more than proposed, it was going to happen, the Fitzroy-Footscray merger at, at the end of 89. I got called into a meeting. Curley said there's going to be, uh, we got called into a meeting at Fitzroy and said the merger's on. Uh, Weegard and Nick Collum and the boards have decided that both clubs uh, need to merge. So all the paperwork was done, all the technical stuff was done. So I was called to a... Um, a press conference at the old L AFL house, you know, I think on Jollymont Street. In we went and there were Footscray players, Fitzroy players from the past. The room was full of media and up the front were members of the board plus Weegard and Nikon to announce the merger. Not to talk about it, to actually announce it. I was I was about oh, three or four metres and I'll put this in context for you. I'm who I am, uh, uh, basically an, a young assistant coach. I'm standing about two metres away from Charlie Sutton and in walks Ted Whitten. And to my day, I'll never forget the engagement they had. Charlie Sutton put his hand out to Ted Whitten and said, mate, I think we've... And I looked at those two and they were emotional. And thank God, it meant the end of Fitzroy, but thank God this wonderful Western Suburbs club rose above that. And yeah. the power of people lifted that club. Power 2016, yeah. they won a premiership. They weren't going to be in the competition. It was going to be the Fitzroy Bulldogs playing in the Fitzroy jumper out of the Western Oval and a little bit of identity. But Fitzroy's not a Western Suburbs club. It's an inner city, hardworking people's mm. club in between. Carlton and Collingwood, the Butch Giles, Kevin Murray sort of thing. And the Western Suburbs is Sutton and it is Witten. So out of that, one survived and one died. So you didn't play finals in your four years in charge, but you did take some decent scalps looking back over at 92, 93. You had some real talent at the top end. Alistair Lynch, Paul Ruse, uh, Richie Osborne hit some form over those couple of years as well. How did it end at Fitzroy for you in 94, if you don't mind, sure? Like the, the old saying is, you oh, know, the, the club was yeah. poor, but it was culturally rich. So you, you would appear to have reveled in that. But did the toll... 
did it just wear you down over over time? The toll wore a lot of people down because it was constant. The the media was constant. Uh, the articles were constant about uh, you know the failed merger and then can Fitzroy survive the financial. They always paid their place, but they never had any money. I guess he's a wonderful person and a great mate of mine. We were on the edge of something special. We just missed the finals. We accommodated Carlton at Princess Park. We took care of Collingwood there in that famous game where Ruzi kicked the goal. And we were that close, but we just couldn't hang on. I lost some of the players and some of the players lost me. So there was a little bit of a fallout, not not in personality, but in vision and mm. And, and, and you've got to remember, Sam, every week our players would be targeted to leave. You've got to leave. You've got no future there. So there was not a drip feed. It was an avalanche of approaches that some took, uh, some, advi- some I advised them to take, and the core and the heart. And then we moved to the Western Oval to play our home games like taking someone from the, the eastern suburbs mm. to play at, at, at Broadie. You know, the cultural difference between the Fitzroy, the inner city, and the AFL very cleverly, and this is not a it's a strategic plan. Uh, okay, there was a bit of fanfare. Don, you know, we've got a home ground. We're going to play at the Western Oval. And from memory, I think our first game was against a lowly Sydney Swans crowd, 6,000. Then we played Brisbane Lions. So they fixtured us for interstate teams low attendance teams. They didn't put Collingwood there. They didn't put Essendon there. They didn't put Carlton there where we would have got packed the terraces and given us a bit of a kickstart. So yeah. I just lost my heart. Yeah. And so just, I just I, lost my heart for the fight. I couldn't go on. So I walked into the board and said, I've, I've lost the, I've lost the fight. And that was simple as it was. Lynch, had gone. I had the great delight of watching Alistair Lynch and Doc Wilden play inside 50. I saw Doc Wilden kick eight goals one yeah. day and Lynch just stood there, watched him play, <laughs> let him play. He was a talent. He kicked, he kicked six on Chris Langford at Waverley one day and a half. Like um, an amazing player that sadly, a beautiful person, his own worst enemy, but Mate, if you put him today and got him fit, yeah. mate, they'd be talking about him. He was stringer-like but better. Now, how's that for a statement? Had a modern-day haircut as well, I remember from back oh, in the, the doc. Well, yeah, yeah. can I tell that story? <laughs> yeah. Mate, I hammered him. He was untidy. You've got to get a haircut. You've got to get a haircut, mate, <laughs> every his day at training. <laughs> Present yourself properly, son. Here, have $20, right? I gave him 20 Have a haircut before this game. Big game. We've got Essen at the MCG. I want you to look sensational. Go and have a haircut. It's 20 bucks. So Doc came in and he, he's turned up to the game with the mohawk. He's turned up with the mohawk. I said, what have you done? He said, oh, I'm a girlfriend. Cut my hair. I said, what you do with the 20? He said, we had 20 on the quadrilla. Here's your 300. We won 650. <laughs> That sounded like him. So, so what do you do? How can yeah. you coach a boy like that? We still communicate, we still talk, and I still love him. Sure, you're understandably burnt out from your time at Fitzroy. So how yeah. did Adelaide, that's 94, how did Adelaide convince you to replace Graham Corns in 95? And oh, what was the yeah. sell? Like, I mean, it has been written since that it was more around we need a fresh voice to perhaps make the hard decisions without, I guess, the historical relationships with players that could potentially cloud judgment. And that was, I suppose, Graham's yeah. lot as the inaugural coach out of South Australia there. 
there, but what was the sell and how did they convince you? Uh, you're sort of right. I had no, you know, I don't want to put this on record. Like people said, oh, Adelaide were chasing you up. Bill Sanders approached me after I left and he said, would you like to be part of a process? He came to the Hilton Hotel and said, can you come and just talk to us? Because I had a very good record against Adelaide and I had a very good record against Geelong. Blighty being a South Australian and a good mate of Bill Sanders from Woodville, obviously they've chatted, you've probably got to go and talk to the shore bloke. I can't beat him. Go and talk to him. So it went from there. I went through a very extensive process of three or four Melbourne interviews, then a board interview in Adelaide. And I guess the theme was to make hard decisions on a list from an outsider's perspective. And the only success I did have in Adelaide was exactly that. The introduction of the the Kane Johnsons, Cloud, Peter Vardy, McLeod. You just go, yeah. yeah, a good one we drafted. So it was a real changing of the guard. And I made myself very unpopular by delisting or omitting favourite sons that were seen to be probably part of the build of Adelaide. So I wasn't worried about that because, and I got great support from Bob Hammond. Then I went and got Peter Caven, you know, from Sydney after the locket thing. And the headlines were in Adelaide, uh, Peter who? Well, I'd coached him at Fitzroy and he was coming off the sickening knock with Lockett. And actually played centre-half back in two premierships for them. Uh, Shane Ellen, no one ever heard of Shane Ellen. I went and got him from... I just brought an influx of people. Jason McCartney, we went and got to add some stiffness to the centre-half forward position. Club went and got... Darren Jarman, and then I dropped his brother Andrew in yeah. the second year for for failing to meet fitness and, and and form standards. So I also dropped Tony Modra in Adelaide, which you don't do. You just don't do uh, headlines. I don't get back page headlines, Sam. I get front page headlines. <laughs> Shaw drops our mods. Yeah. Like, how am I going in the street in the town? So just just you know? just on this then, sure. We've got to get to a break, unfortunately. But so the, the resume reads seventeen wins from forty four matches, and I think you might yeah. have been open before about the connections you made there and what a great city state and footy state essay is but if Fitzroy took a toll on you did, did coaching a one-team town as it was then take a different sort of a toll I think you might have had security guards at the yeah. home for a time there was even talk of a bomb threat at one stage there was manure smeared across the house I mean this is a whole different kettle of fish well it is it's something I came from two traditional clubs you know um, the people were beautiful the netball club that my little children played for the families that looked after my wife uh, unbelievable the enjoyment of living there, it was just a one-team town. So every, every, you know, you you write for papers, Sam. If you're writing about, if you're living in Melbourne writing about Collingwood, it's a fairly one-way street. I'm, I'm proud of how I changed the list and how we worked to generate the list. It's a pretty, and in my defence, it's a pretty big gig to come into in between two of their greatest ever names and players. Cornsey, who I get on really well with, and Blighty, who I've known for a long time, played against him. These are two blokes that I know and get on well with, but this bloke that not a lot of people know comes into their town and coaches in between uh, Cornsey and Blight. Uh, I didn't realise how difficult it would be. I wasn't ready for it. And I, was, I, I didn't coach anywhere as well as what I did with Fitzroy or in my time as an assistant and all that sort of thing. And to this day, I'm not sure I, I, I know why. Maybe I had the comfort in Fitzroy and Essendon of having, you know, the big family around you, the club around you. We were reasonably isolated over there. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tubman Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're going to be right back with Robert Shaw after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. And our guest today is a legend in the Tasmanian Football League Hall of Fame and an Essendon Life member, Robert Shaw. So just on Essendon Shorey, after Adelaide, were you done? I mean, how did the return to Essendon and Sheedy's side play out in, in 99? Was it another another intervention from Sheeds that you touched on earlier? But how much convincing did you take? We packed up and went. Very amicably, I must admit, with the Adelaide Football Club because they were two great football people. Bob Hammond and Bill Sanders mm. knew the game, knew people. Sit down with them. It's not working. My family aren't settled. It's not working. I tell you what, I'll give it away. You go and look for someone. Look, I don't know whether they had Blighty in the wings waiting. So we packed up and shook hands and we gave it a go. Part of it worked. A lot of it didn't work. And it was in the days where, Sam, totally different today. Look at look at rats and rutten. As soon as they leave or get sacked, they get another job. I was for, unfortunately in the day where if you were a sack coach, phone didn't ring. The phone didn't ring because you were tarnished. Now the phone rings. We want you at your club because you can add something. So I hung around in Melbourne. I was unemployed. Uh, I had very good support in the media. Uh, Michael Davis from The Australian got me to write a tactical article every week for a couple of hundred dollars. Rex Hunt, uh, to his eternal credit, the 3AW rang me up and said, I can give you a gig every Saturday afternoon with me as special comments. And there were people like that that came to the financial rescue and St. Kevin's College offered me a position uh, as director of coaching of their APS program. And we won a a premiership with St. Kevin's. So I got involved in the the private school network and then nothing happened. So we packed up and went to Tassie as director of coaching in Tasmania. And we were happy bought a beautiful house and Tasmania was our life. So I'm just settling in. I'm coaching the Tassie Mariners, not that successfully, but loving coaching young people and the phone rings. Matthew Drain from the Essendon Football Club. I've only been there 10 months. He said, we need you back. I said, what? He said, Sheeds isn't going to survive the next board meeting. So we want to put it like it was strategic, but it was also, we want to put a team together around Sheeds that will be loyal to him, support him, challenge him, and we can also promote So we want Terry Danaher, Mark Harvey and Robert Shaw to be his um, assistant coaches and we're going to get the great late Dean Bailey back as so all Essendon people around Sheeds. Sheeds won the vote so they announced it. Sheeds still won the board vote by Graham McMahon's casting vote at the end of 98 after Mm. the Marshmallow War with Mm. North Melbourne. So they tried to get him. He attacked with uh, me, Harvey and Danaher who were up for the fight because we don't mind a fight. Neither does Kevin. So that was the end of 98 so we packed up and went home again. Take you to 99 because this is your first year back and the side only lose five games. One of them is that incredible prelim final loss to a Carlton side that won six less games in the home and away. Now, I don't want to dwell on that game other than perhaps to get you to discuss the role it played in fueling 2000. Now, I think the Sheeds make the team watch that grand final, Carlton North Melbourne from the bottom deck of the, the great Southern Stand, didn't he? And then did he make you walk among the public in Yarra Park to the then, well, it was the Hilton Hotel <laughs> back in the day, where you plonked yeah. yourself down for a good period of time. And is it right that Sheeds instructed you, Shorey, to, to make a presentation to the team then? And, and if so, what, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, 99, it's part of folklore now, and I don't mind it. Uh, I tell you what, a lot of credit's not given to Carlton because their great players played well. Whitnell was awesome. Senahal forward, Ratton brilliant. Craig Bradley, sensational. Matt Allen in the ruck. Camparelli on a wing. 
everything. Carlton played their best footy and we kicked 7-8 in the third quarter. And then Cooter didn't dominate the game. He dominated the last quarter and got them over the line. So we were beaten fair and square. But yes, that sort of thing happened. We met the next Monday at a, a restaurant up in Wellington Parade. Sheeds gave me 48 hours to present a dossier on the five or six teams that we had to beat. We went through a team meeting of how to beat the opposition in 2000 and went for two or three hours, a great meal together. Did the side have to go and watch the grand final? Do you remember? I think it was in the week before the grand final. Right, okay. And part B, exactly right. Well, I can't remember where we bust in, but we had to meet and it wasn't a humiliating experience right. as in a, a making us feel bad. It wasn't degrading us. It was, so we, yes, we walked through Yarra Park as a team, mm. through the middle of Carlton and North Melbourne supporters, through the North Melbourne supporters that despite having Carey and Archer and all, couldn't beat us, couldn't beat us. So it wasn't humiliating. It was certainly strengthening. We sat in the outer amongst the Carlton North Melbourne faithful and took our medicine. Oh, no, I am wrong. After that, we went up to the uh, the mm. restaurant. Mm. So just moved the restaurant from the Monday yeah. to the Saturday after the grand final. Yeah. As they say, the rest is history. 2000, Shorey. I mean, 2000 does stand as one of the most remarkable, if not the most remarkable season in Essendon history. One loss, the greatest season ever played. And the lone loss came in that round 21 game against the Dogs. I-, I wanted to ask you, though, going back, did the group ever discuss going through undefeated? I guess to be footy's equivalent of Arsene Wenger's I- Invincibles? Most definitely did, but it wasn't... Oh, look, I don't know. Somewhere between round 14 to 18, maybe, in the corridors of power. And that would have been led by Heard with such a powerful leader. Hey, where is it saying the rule book we have to lose? Let's do something. So, yeah, instead of hiding away from the one week at a time in Internally, hey, we'll do this. Let, let's just, it wasn't an arrogance. It was a strength of commitment. Let's um, let's just take this competition apart. Let's make a statement. Plough and the Western Bulldogs got us in that game. Uh, they got us fair and square. We were leading for most of the day. So uh, this theory about the flood working all day is not quite accurate. It was part of his game plan to stifle our ball movement, but and he used it very well. But we were leading that game most of the day. They had a really good comeback. It wasn't designed. We were devastated. Oh, you know, this is another sheedy genius move to orchestrate a loss against the Western Bulldogs. <laughs> but having said that, I'm sitting in the coach's box and as the opposition observer, I don't think Sheeds said anything in the first half. Not a word. Like, not a word. It was a very quiet coach's box. Right. So maybe the genius at work... <laughs> was sort of giving us, you know, three or four weeks out from the finals. But then after half time, he got the hunger back and we wanted to win. And in the second half, we got outplayed by the Western Bulldogs. Robert Shaw, I've got to say, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, yours was a tremendous career in a game you've loved since forever. And it is great to talk to you in a week in which your state is obviously bursting with pride over the announcement of a team, finally a team of its own. And you should take enormous satisfaction in the contribution that you made to this moment. So congratulations. Congratulations on everything you've done and, and thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Also, you've been in touch with This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.